Welcome back. This is episode 34. I'm Courtney, your host, alongside Trevor. You're listening to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. So welcome back, Trevor. We are talking about spending triggers today. Yeah, I think this is an important topic because we talk a lot about behavioral issues around personal finance. And this is a big one. This is, this is I think, what drives a lot of people into a bad place. Definitely. I'd have to agree with that. And that's why I think this is definitely deserves a whole episode devoted to it. Before we jump into that, let's just touch in and discuss our Sean Cooper book giveaway. Sean was on our podcast on episode 32, and we are doing a book giveaway with his new book, Burn Your Mortgage. And you can enter that by using the hashtag Burn Your Mortgage Giveaway on any of our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Or if you're not on social media, send us an email with Burn Your Mortgage Giveaway as the subject line. The contest giveaway ends at the end of March. We'll be announcing it on our website and through our social media platforms. So definitely stay tuned to those when we are will be announcing. So and Trevor, I just I, I just want to say that you know based on download activity, that's one of our our more popular episodes. So it's being well received by the community. And uh, if you haven't listened to it and you're a fan of the show, obviously if you're listening to it, you're a fan of the show. Go listen to it because it's a it's a really good episode. We absolutely loved having him on. It was it was incredible. And if you don't know Sean's story, he paid off his mortgage by age thirty in just three years. So it's it's he's not he's not that's not an everyday story. So it's definitely worth a listen to. Um, and he did th- he did that in one of the most expensive places to buy a house in the country, Toronto. So it's a pretty phenomenal story, that's for sure. It is. We'll have his website in our show notes, so you can check out his story as well. And uh, yeah, it's he's in, it's incredible what he's done. So Trevor, let's get into spending triggers. So we've uh, we found it. The inspiration for this uh, this episode came from an article. It's by Jacqueline Curtis called Seven Psychological Triggers That Cause Spending: How to Deal with Them. Um, from money, moneycrashers.com. And I wanted to say Money Crashers, I'm a, I've been a big fan of that blog for a while, and it's it's a great resource for inspiration and ideas. So I, we're going to leave the links to that in our show notes, but I, I encourage all the listeners to go visit Money Crashers because it is a really good uh, source for personal finance, ideas, inspiration, and all that all that stuff. So Trevor, I, I think to just start off this episode, I think we'd all be lying to ourselves if we said that we didn't have some kind of spending trigger. Well, this uh, really opened my eyes to some of the spending triggers I, I have that I, I didn't realize, you know, so I, I'm, I have spending triggers I didn't even know existed. And on that note, I do think we have to head into this episode and just and just say that it is normal to have these spending triggers. It's, I mean... We have a personal finance podcast and we're still not immune to these these spending triggers that hit us left, right and center. Because again, like we've always said, corporate marketing is so hard to to get around because it does play with your psychological thinking and the way and the way you look at life. And we focus a lot on the spending side of the personal finance equation. And that's primarily because it's the side we can control the most. And I'm not saying you, you haven't got potential to earn more money and generate more income. But that that takes a lot more effort than than it is to control the spending side of your personal finance equation. You have far more control over that. And and like we always say, spending and money, personal finance, it's more behavioral, it's more psychological, it's more it's more all of that than it is money or math. So that's why this there, article this, this may get old, but I, I personally believe that and I, I'm gonna change this the expression, I've said it before, but personal finances 
20% math, 80% behavior. But for some people, after you read this article, personal finance may be 90% behavior and 10% math. You know, for there's highly intelligent people who who are who have horrible spending triggers. So it may be a 90-10 relationship between math and behavior. Oh, I I I think that is very accurate of um and ho- and I will hopefully we'll discover that when we uh, delve into this this episode. Um, so to lead off off the idea of uh, psychological triggers, this and I think this person, um, Jacqueline Curtis, when she wrote this article, she kind of realized that when she went on this uh, so-called shopping diet, where she didn't buy um, buy a single article article of clothing for uh, for a single month, and like you said, Trevor, when you turn a critical eye towards what you do, that's kind of when you notice what you've been doing wrong or, or what you've been falling victim to. And I like the term diet. You know, she uses the word diet in the article. And it really is, if you think of, um, if you're on a, a food eating diet, there, there's eating triggers that, that, you know, if you, every time someone sits in front of the TV, they feel the need to eat, you know, that that's a trigger. So the word diet really fits, I think, in, in, the, in the mindset and the, the, the philosophy of, of how spending can can happen i love that you use diet as as an example because that's exactly what i personally thought of when i read this article myself because uh like like jacqueline says it's a reaction to an outside stimulus which which often causes your reaction to do something so i mean we get i mean you've heard of emotional eating that's not anything new but so that can really be the synonymous example to spending triggers why don't we why don't you go through and just sort of read the the seven triggers that she's identified uh, just to bring our listeners up to speed to wh- where we're at. Definitely. There's seven of them, and I'll uh, go through one by one, just listing them off. So number one, shoppers high. Number two, competition. Number three, the idea of saving. Number four, retail therapy. Number five, perceived value. Number six, leisure and boredom. Number seven, panic buys. So those are all seven. So Trevor, let's start with number one, shoppers high. Yeah, this is a, you know, there's a confusion out there. We we had an episode back called "Can Money Buy Happiness," and there I think there's a, a confusion between excitement and happiness. And a shopper's high, you may think is del- you know when you buy something new, a new piece of clothing or a new gadget, you may think it's bringing you happiness, but it's actually most of the time is bringing you excitement, and excitement is extremely short lived. And after the excitement wears off, you, you may end up with the emotion I call regrets. And then after that, when the bill comes in, you might end up with anxiety. So it's, it's a short-term high in most cases. For, for me, it is. That's been my experience. So how can our listeners decipher between excitement and happiness when they're making to, looking to make a purchase? So the, the question to ask yourself is, does, are you currently unhappy because you don't have the object you're shopping for? I, I agree with that. That's... That's exactly what you have to ask yourself. So how can our listeners put that into practice every day? Is that more of a, a thing they have to actually stop and do every day? A shopper's high. It depends why you went shopping in the first place. I mean, if you're in a really dark, depressed place and you need you need something to pick you up, you know, to do that every once in a while, it might be the solution. But it, when this becomes chronic, a, you know, a, the go-to thing for when you're depressed or a little down, when that becomes your go-to outlet, that that's when things go go off the rails. Definitely. And Jacqueline Curtis, the author of this article, suggested that if we have any listeners out there who are runners, they su- she suggested that the the runner's high is the equivalent to a shopper's high in that there's the same release of dopamine that gets f- 
foot through your body and you feel that same exhilarated state. So I think that's an accurate example. And, um, Trevor, I do want to note a couple, two stats here that are in Jacqueline Curtis's article. Um, I, one I, is you know, I, I, I want to go back to the thing, the runner's high, because I used to be a runner and then until my knees let me down. In the whole thing of running, it's, it's, an, it's an evolution. The runner's high isn't until you're actually finished running, you know, when the running's ended and you feel this high. of a, And it's the high of accomplishment is what it, what it delivers. And I think when you're shopping, it's different in that the high is when you're actually the train, you know, you're, you're, you've selected the item you want to buy and you're walking to the register to buy it. And then once you leave the store, you may be uh, overcome with regret or guilt. So it's, it's the same and it's different. So I I just wanted to, in my, my personal experience, I just wanted to highlight that. No, I'm glad you did because, I mean, take take running. Running is a very helpful activity. At no point are you, unless you're, unless you're actually feeling physical pain from running like you did with your knees, there's no point during the running experience where you, there's a, there's a point for negative emotions, um, real negative emotions. But with shopping, I think that point between the shopper's high and the buyer's remorse is, very, is a very small window. I mean, the cash register is near the door, so I feel like that, right, that period is is the little bit of period before you have before you may feel bad so let's move on to uh these two statistics i really like them one is 31 percent of women say they've shopped specifically to elevate their mood and 53 percent of people have shopped as a way to celebrate something so this statistic just is just about a woman but i'm sure we could find comparable ones for for men as well um but i, I just think that's interesting to note like trevor 53 percent that's 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 half yeah that's a big number you know, and, and I, I don't want to sound too sexist, but I know from my perspective, shopping does not deliver a a lot of joy to me. It's a necessary evil. So some of our listeners may not connect with that particular trigger. And I, I know I, I don't get any joy from shopping. In fact, it's it's an annoyance. It's it's something I dread doing. I know my wife, for instance, is in the same mindset. She, she just re- recently went glasses shopping, and it was a very frustrating you know dreaded experience that that you have to do obviously you need glasses you can't see but it's not something either of us enjoy so I don't think it's a man woman thing I think it it may be more personality driven I know I have a young daughter who who shops constantly and and I I do believe a lot of it is is uh, for the high of it like because she's gets quite excited when when a shopping excursion is coming up so I I I think it's it's not Sex driven, it is personality driven, in my opinion. Oh, I I have to agree with that because it is. It would be very sexist for us to sit here and say yes, women feel this way and men feel this way. So, uh, this article does present solutions to overcoming the specific trigger that feeling that high when you shop. So, Trevor, what are some of your go to strategies for this? Well, for me, this is tough because I don't really get a high from shopping, so I don't need a lot of solutions, but. Uh, you know, I, I could think of some in that it, just like any change, you know, uh, uh, a walk in nature, like a nature hike or uh, uh, an intense physical activity could give you the distraction you need from life. Definitely. And it's it's I think the alternative is rooted in the same feeling that you get when you're shopping. So it's 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 not bad to feel that runner's high. It's not bad to feel that that dopamine release when you do something else that's um 
get get yourself moving like like exercise so i think exercise is definitely a good alternative i mean this article so suggests where, where are you on this particular trigger me What's your do you suffer from uh, shopper's high I as a spending trigger i don't think so no i don't i i don't think so at all i mean i i'm not i haven't gone clothes shopping in so long trevor to be honest so I, I, and I feel like if I, if this is something, and again, I'm a university student, so anyone who has been to post-secondary secondary knows that there, there are definitely high moments and low moments when you're, when you're at post-secondary. So you, your, your emotions are definitely a roller coaster, but never have I fell victim to wanting to shop. So I'd say, I'd say I'm pretty low in shoppers high. So we're probably not going to be a whole lot of use to our listeners and come up with our, our personal solutions on this. I just, I just wanted to put that out there that if these don't, if we don't sound too insightful regarding solutions to this trigger is because we don't suffer from that trigger. But if, if you're a listener out there who does suffer from this trigger, trigger leave us a comment and let us know how, what you do to uh, get over this specific trigger because it'd be interesting to hear. So Trevor, let's uh, skip on to number two, competition. So moving through these, these spending triggers, Trevor and I found when we read this article, we were talking before the show started, and um, we, we, were, we were finding that some of these are driven more by the marketing tactics by the organizations and the businesses you shop at, and, and less to do with internal, but it does become psychological because it's the way that your mind psychologically interprets what the marketing is supposed to achieve. So it's a little bit of a mix of both, but I just want to underscore that it's not, I mean, yes, you are falling victim, but you can't put all the blame onto yourself when you when you find yourself falling victim because these advertisements and, and marketing schemes aren't helping. So Trevor, number two, competition. Black Friday was one of the big things highlighted for uh, for number two. Yeah, everybody uh, wants a, a deal. Um, I mean, Black Friday is is just another day in the, in the, the year, but it seems to just drive a frenzy of people. I mean, I, I've seen videos where it's actually a dangerous place to be if you're... Uh, if you're not quick and agile, uh, you could actually be in harm's way. So, Trevor, I do want to highlight that I don't know if number two competition is is applicable to everyone. I mean, are you a very competitive person in nature? And would that impact how you feel uh, when you went into a store and if you felt competitive? Because it's saying it being like the competition marketing tactic preys on the competitive side of human nature. Well, I know uh, where I work. There is a bit of a truck competition going on, and people are buying high-end trucks to out-truck the other guy. You know, in that they're maybe bigger tires, a higher lift kit. I love that out-truck the other guy. <laughs> yeah, and it really is. It's a, it's a verb, right? It, they're using it as a verb, and they actually talk about that. So one one guy just got a a new Dodge Ram truck, and it you would almost need a ladder to get up into it. He's got it lifted so high, but it, it it's really a competition amongst those guys and. What an expensive thing to compete on. I mean, you could compete at, at, with bicycles. These guys are competing um, with a, a very expensive commodity. And then uh, if, if for our listeners out there who aren't, aren't aware of what Trevor drives, he drives a, a Honda Civic, a quite, quite an old Honda Civic. So I bet you, look, uh, you little, look a little out of place when you pull up next to the big trucks. Yeah, I, 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 I work with a lot of people who put a lot of pa- have a, carry a lot of passion for their vehicles. And I, I carry zero. I mean, I would be the worst guy to talk to about car advice. For me, uh, the real important thing in a car is that it starts. <laughs> and when you start it, it stays running. And that's kind of where it ends for me. <laughs> so it, it's a mode of transportation. But from a competitive nature, I mean, this can go into, uh, I do have a weakness for electronic gadgets. 
and I, I don't carry the latest iPhone, but I, I do have an, a great appreciation for the latest iPhone. I, I have a MacBook and I, when a new one comes out, I read about the new MacBooks and all the new features they have. So I, I, I do have, a, we all have weaknesses for sure, right? And, and so when that new gadget comes out, I got to fight the, that, 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 that becomes my trigger and I do have to fight that one. So, and, and the, what I, I, again, I ask myself, does my life currently suck because I don't have the newest iPhone? Definitely. I feel like that's a no-fill question to keep asking yourself when in doubt. Um, I, I do want to note that we are going to be releasing a episode sometime in the future on just on cars or auto automobiles and just vehicles where we will be going over how we feel about that. And, and just mostly Trevor's mentality and philosophy about cars, because if you've been here for a while, you know that Trevor's about loves the idea of used cars. So, Well, I actually want to do a show on... I, I have successfully bought used cars for tw- maybe 25 years and I, I've kept them each of those cars for at least 10 years. I, I have had, I used to think I just got lucky, but I, I think I have a, a magic formula for buying used cars and we're going to do a whole episode on my, my formula for buying used cars and I, I think it, it really works. So that, that's going to be something coming up. Yeah, the proof is definitely in the pudding on that one. So stay tuned and uh, that that will be coming out in the future. Trevor, you said something I, I do want to touch on because I think it's so key. As you said, you can appreciate something. I think that is a very important word because you can appreciate something but not want to buy it or not have to have it. Well, you know, a lot of times we we tend to see what's not there. You know, when we look at our personal possessions and all the things we have, we tend to see what's missing. And I'm not blaming people. I, I'm guilty of it too. But it's our human nature, I, I'm guessing. But if we would take the time to just see what we actually do have and appreciate that, I, I mean, the, the happiness meter would just skyrocket. That's a phenomenal point. And I know I know it sounds so basic, but I do agree with you. It's something that we don't do often. I feel as society, we're so focused on what we don't have, what we can't do. And we kind of lose sight of, I mean, everything that we do have. Where I mean, looking at Canada alone, we're such, um, we're such, we're such fortunate individuals to be able to have the access to things we have access to. So, I not to get all philosophical, but you're right, Trevor. We definitely have to focus on on the on but, the, the little the little the little side that we forget about. But by by not seeing what's there, that that does move our society forward, right? Because we're always trying to improve. So there is a benefit to that. I I don't want to. Uh, say that's all negative there is a positive side of that uh, as a society we're becoming more and more educated and and it's those kind of mindsets that move us forward right so it's seeing what's not there could you imagine where modern medicine would be today if all we looked at is the medicine we had instead of the medicine we didn't right so it it, it serves a purpose oh definitely but i think it, in, in the personal finance realm i think we can we're safe to say that definitely appreciate what you do have so, Trevor, let's skip on to the idea of saving. This, this is number three, and this is something that I think is is genius. Jacqueline Curtis did an incredible job outlining this in the article. Again, it'll be in the show notes, so check this article out. It's 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 really enlightening. But, Trevor, how accurate is, is this concept of the idea of savings? And maybe just kind of describe it for our listeners a little bit. Well, for the, we do a lot, uh, Canadian aspect here. So anybody who shopped at Canadian Tire... They have these 60% off, 70% off sales. And whether you, you, if you're just on the fringe of you might need this someday, at 70% off, uh, you know, how do you not buy it? 
you know that you can't pass it up well you know my father he he's a he sees that canadian uh tire flyer come in every week and his eyes just glaze over and he will he'll buy some things and at 70 percent off you can afford to make some mistakes for sure but but they start to stack up and there's a there's a quote in her article here she says you never spend you never save money by spending it and i thought that that is so true so in that in that statement if you bought something you that was you know an incredible deal 70% off but you didn't really need it you didn't save any money right right and for our listeners out there who may listen to the minimalist and you'll know that we listen to the minimalist too and they have this really great quote it's 100% off when you don't buy it at all. And that's so true. Oh, I like that. I, so I've never heard that one. That is that is quite insightful. 100% off when you don't buy it because you didn't need it. That is that is powerful, that one. It kind of, again, it just it just reinterprets how you're looking at it. Because I, like, I, Trevor, I, like, hand up high in the air if you've fallen victim to any save for a certain percentage off deal. Well, some stores, you know, like Winners, a clothing store in Canada, their whole... Uh, and in fact, I, th- I think they've they violated some pricing l- law or some kind. I, I don't know the details, but if you look, at, if you go into the store, uh, they have a price tag, and then they said compare at on the tag as well. And apparently, it, it never sells for that compare at price anywhere. You know, that's it's a way overstated number. But the the mindset, that the mind shift, that uh, you know, I better buy this because. You know, it's a great deal. That that is just it, it. It plays with the mind so much. You actually touched on number five, perceived value, and and that is the exact same pricing strategy that they they implement. They they show you what what it should be worth, and then you feel like you're you're getting a deal. So this n- number five, perceived value, really does um, lead into number two. But I want a great quote that Jacqueline Curtis used for perceived value is. Step back and ask yourself, would I buy this if it weren't on sale? Looking at, again, the winner's example, and those compare-at prices may not even be factual. Would you buy it if it was at that factual price of, of the compare-at value? So I think that's important to, to really look at. I know sometimes I say to myself, you know, I, I'll see something at, at full price. And I, like I, I think back to when I used to run, and I, I look at running shoes. I'd never buy them at full price. I'd always buy them in the fall when they went on sale. And every time I got the shoes, I, I just said, you know, these are great shoes, but I'd never pay $130 for them or $190 or however much they cost. The, as great as they felt and as, as, as much as they made my running more comfortable or I run faster, I, I don't know, but as much as they, the difference they made, I still, I, I, I never told my, I would never pay full price for these. So that, that's a great question to ask yourself. Just to unpack that a little, a little bit more, Trevor. So, if I'm just gonna get you straight here, you did need the running shoes either way. Oh, I did, yeah. But I just, I knew I would not like, I would not pay the insane price that they want for, for like a hundred and. I remember some of them were like a hundred and ninety bucks, and I'm sorry, I just can't bring myself to to pay a hundred ninety dollars for shoes that I would run for, I don't know, ten kilometers at, at the most, and it might take me an hour. And I might do that three times a week. I, I just, I couldn't bring myself to spend that kind of money on, on footwear. And I, I think maybe the reason you might have pushed off buying those shoes is because you know, I mean, you know that they go on sale. 
if you've been buying the same running shoes for a while, you know that they that they go on sale. Shoes have a season where they go on sale. So that could be a factor as well. But also another factor that you're I'm sensing is that this was a purchase you kind of needed. So so in this sense, when you absolutely need something, running shoes to run, the saving is actually beneficial because again, why why spend more money when you can actually save money on something you really, really need? But so in this article, the, the danger is is you'll so, so you'll buy it in anticipation of needing it because it's on sale. That yes, that is a phenomenal point. I'm glad you said that. So for me, I, I was doing the opposite. I, I I knew I needed it, but I was gonna wait till they went on sale. So I didn't fall victim to the trigger. And do you think we can make the blank statement? I'm just I'm just that's why I'm asking this. The statement that. Just wait until you do need it. I, I mean, I, I know you're going to say this doesn't apply for everything, but in some cases, our society in general always jumping the gun on what they think they need, consumer product-wise. Well, do you wait until you need it and pay full price? Or do you buy it in, in the, you know, the outside chance you might need it and, and buy it on sale? Back to your thing about the minimalist, uh, if, if you don't buy it, you save 100%. So it, it, it's really a, a cat and mouse game. And, and the... The retailers are playing on your emotions. But to that point, you it, it because it is a cat and mouse game. You can almost work it the other way. And I mean, when is there never a sale going on? Yeah, I think when I look at stuff, I just assume at some point it will go on sale. You know, it, it always does. I, it I always does. What, it always does. So I just I, I've got a mindset where I refuse to pay full price, for, like full price for anything. Unless, uh, you know, I'm not going to go barefoot or something, but in our society, we live in a pretty luxurious environment. And I, I got to think most people can, whatever it is, it, uh, other than food, you can wait until it goes on sale and it will go on sale. Definitely. And it, it comes back to the whole, do I really need this? And do I really need this now? So, Trevor, you know, let's- you, you know in this article, though, I just wanted to touch on this one thing. It talks about the... Uh, the 99 you know when you see something on uh priced it'll be like 199 you know or or 299 or you know there's always 99 it's they never round it up to the to the 200 right but when i'm looking at something and i I, I, if it's something i really want to buy i'll say oh it's only one it's only 199 dollars i should get it but when i'm trying to talk myself out i say i wouldn't pay 200 dollars for that so I'll, i'll automatically round it up if i if i'm questioning whether i need it but if i really really trying to convince myself that that it's a good idea i'll say it's 199 so i I actually work the emotions in my own head and i mean if any of our listeners out there have taken consumer behavior or marketing i i know those are two fantastic stable courses in my degree and those are those tactics the pricing tactics we we that was a learned on day one thing because it's so Again, it's so basic, so easy, and like you said, it plays so deeply into your emotions. So that we've been covering, we have actually been covering number five throughout this whole episode, perceived value. I mean, Trevor just uh, touched on a 99 cent clearance buy thing. Actually, Trevor, let's just, we'll, we're, let's do number five, and we'll, then we'll touch on retail therapy, which is actually number four. I mean, this list, there's no, uh, no chronological order, but number five, the clearance, how fast are you going to buy something if it's on clearance? Well, the the risk is once it's gone, it's gone, right? So it's, it's you know, one of the things I try to do is, I, I talked about an iPhone. When I buy the iPhone, I never buy the latest model. I always buy at least one model older. 
and the savings is astronomical. Now, the, the problem is, is once those older models of iPhones are gone, they're gone, right? They're not going to make any more. They're making the new ones. So you do have to, you kind of have to act, but, but you, you really, you can't buy in anticipation of needing it. You have to buy for your immediate needs. When things are on clearance, you either need it or you don't. And because we are such a consumer-driven society and we do have a lot of materialistic possessions, I think it's safe to say that realistically, we're not minimalist as a society in general and that we get rid of iPhones when there's, they still work and we throw away clothes just because we don't like them. That's fine. But in, in reality, if you really had to stop and think about it, the things that you currently have can probably still last you until there's that sale on something. You know what I mean, Trevor? You can kind of put up with what you have. Yeah. You, you know, we don't want to regress as a society. You know, our sophistication level has been, has been rising over time. And you don't want to undo that by by living a, a, a deprived life. But at the same time, you know, you, you can quickly convince yourself that something has lost its usefulness just because something new is on the market. I mean, we've all done that. Definitely. I think it's just so important to be critical of, of you and what you're buying and what's important to you. And just, just be aware of, of you specifically more than anything else. Again, again, does my life currently suck because I don't have all the new features of the latest iPhone? Yes. You know, that's a question to ask yourself all the time. Does, does my Because cre- your life may suck if you spend money you, can, you don't have on, on credit. You know, the, you don't have to wonder. That's pr- a pretty, you know, safe conclusion. So retail therapy, Trevor, is this is this something that you currently engage in when shopping, when you feel different emotions? I, this article by Jacqueline Curtis is uh, happy, sad, annoyed, tired. People will shop when they feel this way. Well, I go back to this. This shopping, retail therapy, it's going to create excitement, not happiness. And excitement is short-lived. So, and, and with excitement, you get a great big high, and then you come down to a, a, a low again. So it actually can be counterproductive to do retail therapy because it's creating happiness. I mean, creating excitement as opposed to happiness. I mean, you just got to find another therapy to, to get out of your, your funk if you're depressed or, or, or having a bad time. A, a nature hike, you know, it can really change your perception. You know, just, just being out in nature where things are quiet and, and sort of you can, you're alone with your thoughts or whatever, that can be pretty powerful. I know for me, uh, getting out in nature really changes my mindset and, and just getting out walking can, you know, any kind of exercise. There's so many other solutions other than re- re- retail therapy is an easy short-term fix that has zero lasting effects. And what, you know, that thing you buy, as soon as it gets integrated into your day-to-day life, be it an article of clothing or electronic gadget, as soon as it gets integrated in your day-to-day life, it is no longer going to, you know, give you that excitement and if in anything it may just be one more thing that that creates a you know something you have to keep track of or be concerned about so it actually can bring you discontent in the long run definitely and i think that that's why this issue of retail therapy and shopping when you feel certain emotions is so so incredibly linked to when people when eating food when emotional eating when you feel the same kind of emotion is it's really on the same level and so if any of our listeners out there who do not suffer from spending triggers as severe as maybe other listeners, you, you may not derive as much value from this episode, but I'm sure you can be em- empathetic of how this could be a problem. And, and I'm sure you have people in your life who, who do succumb to spending triggers a lot more easily than you. 
and just another note on uh, retail therapy is if you, in fact, uh, are depressed and you go shopping and you shop with money that you don't have and you put things on credit, you actually will be, you know, at the end of that cycle, you may be more depressed and more unhappy than before you started. Definitely a vicious cycle. So number six is leisure and boredom. This one kind of leeches over from the last one, but essentially it's shopping when you're bored. Yeah, you know, if if this is something you need to do, if this is your solution, I would suggest, you know, yard sailing, thrift shops, you know, venturing into the used goods market, you know, as a solution because you might find a lot more unique things. It's going to take you a lot longer to to do the, to go through the shopping exercise because you you know there's usually only going to be one of whatever you're looking for uh, yard sailing I mean if that could take up a whole Saturday morning or a whole Saturday I mean and then there's flea markets if you stay you're going to save a lot of money it's going to take a lot longer and you're going you're going to maybe find more unique things so if if this is how you deal with boredom I would say venture into the secondhand market you know go into the secondhand market and, and there's a lot of people that that actually turn that into a business where they they go buy they get a real good deal on something secondhand and then they they gather a whole bunch of things and then they have a yard sale themselves and they actually make money doing this trevor that is a phenomenal suggestion and definitely the best idea of this episode if, if our listeners take one thing away you can still do what you like to do just at a different level and honestly i i'm actually someone who and i'm sure our listeners feel the same way too a few of them that I actually get a thrill out of, like you said, finding something unique at a secondhand store, whether it's it's or even just yard selling. It's there's something thrilling about it. So well, if I, if, if you get a thrill of of saving money, you know that that earlier trick we talked about. Well, the thrill of finding some nugget at a, at a at a yard sale or a, a flea market or even online uh, that you can turn around and sell at a profit. I mean, there's a huge thrill associated with that. So that, that could really satisfy that trigger as well. I mean, with anything, though, you do have to still be aware of what you're purchasing. I mean, again, there's less cost associated with it because, I mean, it's secondhand. It's therefore usually more inexpensive than something new. But you still have to be mindful of what you're buying. But I think, in a sense, Trevor, this this goes deeper than the thrill that you get when you buy something new because... There's that thrill of searching for it. Like you said, there's that thrill of uh, saving. There's that thrill of uh, looking for it. Like I think that is so... Is, so if any of our listeners are do have spending shopping triggers, just try this. And and it, you'll become... It, it, it's a game changer. I really do think it is. So uh, last but not least is panic buys. So Trevor, the first thing that sends the sirens off in my head is the reason that panic and buy are side by side. Yeah, you know, the only thing you should be panic buying is is food. You know, if 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 you're starving and and uh, mind you, you know, just for the uh a tip, don't go grocery shopping on an empty stomach. That's no, never a good idea. <laughs> but the, you know, in our society, there isn't a lot of things that that you you need to buy in a panic mindset. In fact, it's dangerous. In fact, marketers want to create that panic. So so you do pull the trigger on something that maybe you can't afford. Uh, if you've ever went to buy a car, uh, the pressure ramps up the longer you're in the dealership, and they try to create this frenzy of of scarcity, and 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 you actually, you know, if if you're there long enough and there's enough salespeople working you, you get the feeling that if I don't act now, uh, this this will be gone, and I'll I'll never get a car. 
But we all know in reality, there are tons of car dealerships and tons of cars. With cars, Trevor, you might be able to see that there's a lot more available. Your rational mind might poke through and say, oh, wait, there's actually a ton of cars. There's a ton of dealerships. But on the more consumer good level, it might that idea that that panic might be a little bit more real because it could be a little bit more real because quantities could be limited in your mind you could rationalize it that way so here's a little story so and this will give away a bit of my age so i used to when i was in high school i used to work at a store called kmart and it was kind of like walmart but it was called kmart and it was a budget department store and they had this thing there it was called the blue light special and it was literally uh you know, a seven foot long chrome pole with a flashing blue light on the top of it. And it would spin around and, and, and you know, it, it, you could see it through the whole store. Like it was a quite a bright light. And all, all the store manager would do is he'd, you know, I worked in the sporting goods department. So he'd, he'd say, uh, grab a whole bunch of hockey sticks, bring them up to the front of the store and, and put them under this blue light. And then somebody would announce over the speaker saying, you know, uh, for the next hour, we're having a blue light special on hockey sticks. And not a word of a lie, the frenzy over the hockey sticks would just be mind-blowing. I mean, if you got in the way of these people, it would be dangerous. And, and we'd literally sell out all these hockey sticks. But he'd, he, we only did this like once a day. So it was, and then people would come in and say in the store, they say, have you had a blue light special yet? And say, no, we haven't yet. And so they'd hang around the store waiting for this blue light special. It was never advertised. Nobody knew it was going to be. But the participation in this frenzy was just mind-boggling. Did the did the item, was it actually reduced in price? Oh, yeah. No, it, it would be reduced. But nothing, uh, like not 50% off. Like they, You know, they might say, you know, for the next hour, 15% off hockey sticks. You know, and it, so it was never, uh, but the thing is people would hang around the store waiting for the, and and when you when they seen the blue light being wheeled up to the front of the store, they'd start asking, you know, well, what's going on? Say, oh, I don't know yet. You know, it's not till the store manager says it. It's, it's it's a mystery until he announces it. And so people would hang around and hang around, and they might shop while they're there waiting for that blue light to go on. That's a that's a that's a great story, Trevor. And it's it accurately sums up this strategies and tactics still being used now. I mean, that wasn't that long ago, but I mean, Kmart Kmart's been gone for a while now. So, Trevor. Have you always, right now, it sounds like you, you can control yourself when the new iPhone comes out, but have you always been this way? Oh, no, no. I, I've been, uh, I, I, I've been, had a huge weakness to many spending triggers over my life. And uh, all of these, actually, at some level. So and it, it's something you have to work at a lot. Like, I've talked about this before. Some people are natural spenders and some people are natural savers. So I'm a natural spender. And my triggers are, are very close to the surface. So my wife is a natural saver and she, she does have spending triggers, but they're very uh, deep down and take a lot to set off, you know, so she's not, her triggers are, take a lot to, to access and not to say she doesn't fall victim, but it's pretty rare. So you'd say it's personality driven or maybe your upbringing. What would you say kind of drives one person to be more of a spender than others? Well, if you're an introverted person, you're you're cautious by nature, typically, and so you're gonna maybe think through purchases more, you know, analytically, or or you'll put a lot more, you know, him and Han behind them. Whereas if you're extroverted and outgoing, you know, you might be just 
quicker to, to, to buy things. So you're going to be more susceptible to spending triggers. I'm not saying that across the board, but just an observation is extroverted, outgoing people tend to be quicker to pull the trigger on a purchase. Definitely. It generally, I, yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. So that is it for this episode. Make sure you leave us a comment and let us know what your spending trigger is and how you deal with that. Because we'd love to love to hear from you and see. We've talked about a lot about our spending triggers, but we'd love to hear from you. So on that note, make sure you are entering the Sean Cooper book giveaway. All of the contest details will be are on our website at livelifesimple.ca under the 2017 monthly challenges and giveaway tab under Mortgage March. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And again, this is your podcast that will lead you down the path of financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. We'll see you next week. And until then, keep it simple. Simple.